from the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio. This is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us. This podcast will navigate the problems that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experiences as underrepresented professionals in the music industry. This is the final episode of Season 1 of Orchestrating Change. For today's episode, we are joined once again by Michelle Charles, President and CEO of the Canton Symphony Orchestra, who was one of our guests earlier in the season. We are also joined by Nathan Maslick, our audio engineer, as well as the manager of marketing here at the Canton Symphony. Today, we are wrapping up what we've learned by the incredible conversations we have had over this season with our 10 guests. Yeah, and so to kick us off today, um, we're flipping the script a little bit, uh, and Michelle is going to be asking the questions, and um, we're just going to have a little bit of a discussion about how this process has been for us, what we've learned, and looking forward into the future of this podcast and the Canton Symphony. So, Michelle, I guess now you're in charge. <laughs> We first started talking about this podcast last May when the Black Lives Matter protests again became necessary in America because of the tragic murder of George Floyd. We wanted to do something as an organization, but it became very clear to us that deep change was required, not just a one-off performance and a social media statement. After this first season, what do you think are some of the biggest changes that need to be made here at the Canton Symphony and in the world of orchestral music? So I think that something that really stuck with me through many, many, many of our guests is that representation really, really matters. One of our guests, Julian Maddox, used the phrase, seeing is believing. People of color, seeing other people of color on the stage, people who look like them on the stage at concerts matters. People of color seeing pieces on the programs that orchestras are going to play that we are going to play here at the orchestra that matters women seeing women composers on the programs we play matters that i would say is possibly one of the greatest takeaways that i think that we have have derived from what we've learned this season I, yeah, I would also say kind of from a, a community engagement standpoint, I, we, we, there was a kind of a push in the orchestral world, I don't know how many years ago now, but to change from community outreach to community engagement. Um, because the term outreach implied we go or, or we re reach out to people and they then, you know, come and give us or, you know, they then they come engage with us instead of us going uh, to them. So I think that even though we changed the title of community outreach to community engagement, a lot of orchestras and a lot of mindsets are still in the community outreach mindset and not truly an engagement. Because if we were doing community engagement, 
our stages would look more like our communities, what we were programming would look more like our communities, just like what Matthew was saying. Um, so I think the biggest change for me is to view my position as community engagement in a much lar wider scope, as opposed to it just being about the programming that we're doing, but instead of it, it is the whole organization. Um, so for me, that has felt like the biggest change for me personally, I think. And I think that's a good point because, you know, that title change happened just in the last five, six years. So, you know, just since I've been here at the symphony, there's been a real shift in, you know, management and administration really trying to engage their communities better. But I think it is still such a new concept that people really are not quite sure what to do with it. And I think you hit the nail right on the head that we really have to be making ourselves look like our communities. Right, right. And in, in engaging these communities, we mm -hmm. have to have conversations with the members of the community about what we can meaningfully mm. bring to them, what we can meaningfully offer to them, what what do they, what are they looking for that we could offer to them? And, you know, uh, I would say Marie Helene mm -hmm. Bernard had just some wonderful, that St. Louis Symphony has some wonderful programs in this regard. They have, they run a gospel choir. They send their symphony musicians into black churches in the community. They have a partnership with their youth orchestra musicians mentor uh, young musicians of color do a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, and it's all come out of this conversations that they've had with the community. So that these are things that actually have been going on for some time. They're not particularly new that have come out of the community engagement they've done there. Matthew, just to add to that, uh, moving forward as an orchestra, especially in my position as marketing manager, um, I also think it's really important for what we want to see change is our communication with just how we present ourselves as an orchestra. Like for example, with all of the concerts that we do, we want to use language that is inclusive and doesn't seem restrictive of just one particular sect of people. So I think moving forward, that's one of the things that I'll be more intentional about uh, when we create that content and copy for our concerts and any other programs that we do. Mm. Right. Yeah, and a good point. And I would say by not being restrictive, obviously we, we want to welcome in the new communities that we haven't served before, but right. also not push away the old ones and, and assure them that yes, we are trying to make some changes in, in our programming, but that the music that they know and love in the canon, it's not going away. Mm -hmm. We're just no. trying to add to it. Right. And I, my hope is that once they hear some of this music that's never been for never before been heard on the stage here at Umstadt Hall or at many other concert halls throughout the country, they're going to be so happy that they heard it. And I think that a lot the music that we are looking to add to our repertoire all falls into that category. Music that Gerhardt said, music that makes you cry, music that that pulls at your soul. That's what we love about orchestral music. And that's the type of music we are looking to add. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I literally, right before filming this, came from talking with the Youth Leadership Academy of Stark County. And I asked them, 
because this is a group of teenagers. I was like, have you been to the orchestra? And most of them had not. And I said, okay, so why don't you go to the orchestra? What don't you, what, what I said, and I said, be mean. What don't you like about the orchestra? And they had, I mean, they had these really great insights. And uh, one young gentleman said, be, because uh, I, I don't know, it's, it doesn't look, it's not for me. Like, and this, he was a young white kid too. And he's like, it's not, it's not for me. It's for like rich old people. And I, and that's the perception to this day that, that our young people are having. So if we can, you know, bring them into the conversation as well, I think that's, that's become really important to me is bringing young people into this conversation uh, because they, 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 I mean, they had some really great insights and it was a really good conversation I had with them. So, yeah, I think. Well, plus. Mm -hmm. They're our future audience, and right. that audience is constantly dwindling. I mean, just by looking at the demographics of the orchestra, you know, in 10, 15 years, what is our audience going to look like? Mm -hmm. And if we don't start thinking about this now, then we're going to have a pretty rude awakening <laughs> once we actually witness the losing interest of classical music. Right. So how do we, how do we not, how do we make that not happen? Right. 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 And and Gerhardt, uh, Gerhardt spoke about the importance of us we as orchestras having a young person's group, having programs for young people. The Cleveland Orchestra has The Circle. It's a wildly successful program for young professionals. And it doesn't have to be what we do here at the Canton Symphony. It doesn't have to look exactly like that, but having some deliberate and intentional effort to bring younger people into the concert hall, whatever that may look like is going to be an important part of what we do going forward. And making it and making it easy. I think another thing that we've learned, and we'll probably talk about this more later, but the amount of barriers to entry that exist in this field and in this art form, um, for young people, I think that actually the biggest barrier to entry is just time and how busy they are, especially for young parents. Um, and so finding ways to get them involved in the symphony um, that that is easier for them that f that fits their schedule that that c comes to where they are at in their lives and um, you know getting creative with how that looks and there's a lot of examples of young of young professionals programs and I know Stark County has quite a bit of young professionals programs and so yeah that's definitely something that's going to be on my mind as well looking forward and um, I think our list of things that we want to do is getting longer but that's okay I think I think that's good I think we have I think we have the interest for it. I think we just need to actually, you know, and, and Nathan, you were talking about like, what is our message? How do we brand ourselves? How do we talk about what we do? And um, yeah, I think looking at that moving forward, how do we bring in all these different types of audiences in a way that is easy and accessible for them? So that's, that's I think, a big thing for me. And then, of course, on the performer side, mm -hmm. trying to come up with some way that we can increase the diversity on our stages. You know, I, I was fascinated just after the Super Bowl, uh, there was an article in the New York Times about the fact that there is a lack of diversity among NFL head coaches. And that the fact that this has been a problem for so long has caused black coaches to not aim as high as they otherwise might. They sort of just accept the fact that, oh, I guess the highest I can reach is being an assistant, being an mm. upper level assistant, head coach. That's not for me. That's out of my league. 
the lack of it's not just here in the orchestra field. I mean, this is this is a problem across the board in many fields. But what we can do in the orchestra, I think Gerhardt had a wonderful idea with this to have apprenticeship program, an apprenticeship program where people can come and people of color can come and be in the orchestra for a couple of years on a non tenure track position and uh, potentially not paid at full union rate. However, they, they would be selected in not in a blind audition. We would know who they were coming in. We would deliberately select people from minority communities and give them an opportunity to play in the orchestra, to be on stage. And it would not only help to launch their professional careers, but also then the kids who come into the YPC, into the kinder concert. Mm. Oh my gosh, that person looks like me. I could do that someday. I belong here. I think having some program where we can actually get performers, more performers of color on stage is going to be crucial. So I think we're going to end up, you know, talking through a lot of things whenever I ask you each a question, which is pretty awesome because I can tell that <laughs> you both, um, well, all three of you were very excited about this whole um, journey that you've been on the last couple of months. And so it's exciting to, for me to hear, you know, where your thoughts are and what, you know, you're excited about moving forward. So um, what are some of the things that you feel that you have personally learned and what areas do you feel that you still need more education on? I think, I think one of the, the biggest things I learned is I had a, I had a conceptual knowledge of and physical, you know, actual, you know, statistics knowledge of the intolerance that still exists in the orchestral community and the inequities that still exist. But I think hearing stories that were so visceral and, and, and real from the people that are experiencing these things. I mean, I think listening to Sarah talk was, I mean, one of the most profound experiences of my life and hearing what she went through um, when she transitioned, I, I, I know that that type of intolerance exists, but to hear it from someone, I think was really, uh, it was, it was, it was moving. Uh, and I, and it makes me want to learn more about, um, that community. And it makes me want to find ways where I can support, um, people from the transgender community more. I, I think the same thing goes for, um, the lack of, of, uh, racial diversity. I mean, when, when Julian said when he, you know, when he formed the black student union, it was, I was one of seven students on campus. And then I thought to my own conservatory experience, I'm like, okay, yeah, that tracks when I, you know, when I was thinking about my own time at a conservatory, yeah, that, that, that's about right for the and number of students. For, honestly, from my perspective, there were no joke. There were zero black people in the Manus Orchestra while I was at Manus. There were some black students in the opera program, zero in the orchestra program. It was entirely white, Asian, and a few Latino students, but zero African-Americans. Right, so that, that makes me want, I, I have kind of gotten this like hunger to learn more about our education system. Um, and the the deep and systemic 
issues that exist in our educational system here in America broadly and then specifically in music education because there I think there's so much to talk about there and so much to learn and I'm very excited for season two where we're going to dive into that a lot more because that to me I mean that's the fact that students of color are just not get they just don't get the same advantages as uh their white counterparts uh rachel and matthew just to add on to that point i think just generally in education um seeing the income disparities based on inner city schools and seeing just the lack of music programming i think is a big factor here mm -hmm. i mean you foster these interests when people are young when kids right. are young when they're first learning their first instrument when they're just learning about some history of classical music and I think that's mostly where it starts. And yeah. if a significant portion of our population, especially in Canton, who maybe don't have access to that kind of opportunities, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I think where our first problem is. Like, yeah. how do we encourage that kind of, it's basically just comes down to increased money. Like, how do yeah. we get instruments in the hands of these kids? Yeah. How do we inform them about the rich history of classical music and also the continuation of it into modern day. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think from our perspective at the orchestra, something that was impressed upon us by Eric Gould was don't worry about fixing the public education system. And that, that is a, such a bigger problem than any of us, even the four of us together could, could fix ourselves. What we can do, though, is we can create our own programming that we can provide, which can supplement or take the place of, in, in some cases when necessary, the music education in schools where it's lacking. We, it, we can provide lessons somehow, maybe subsidize our musicians teaching underserved populations and also providing them instruments it's not going to be free obviously it's going to take funding we're, we're going to probably need specific funding for it but things that focusing on things that we can do as an organization on the educational front i think is is where we can make the biggest impact mm -hmm. yeah yeah i would agree so what do you think was the biggest surprise that you found out during this? I have a big one here. I <laughs> could not believe that this profession, which I have always thought in my mind to be the most open, one of the most open-minded and welcoming and accepting professions in the world, really wasn't as open-minded and accepting as I thought. And I mean, so many of our guests talked about this. Gerhardt having polio and, and people thinking, oh, he doesn't have the stamina. He doesn't have the energy to for the job. Uh, Sarah being told by everyone, oh, we fully support you. And then all of them turning their backs on her when she actually went through with her transition. Marie Helena as an immigrant with an accent to finding skepticism against her. Uh, Julian talked about the fact that even those few musicians of color that make it into an orchestra, that, that get through the behind the screen audition, sometimes have trouble getting tenure 
because there are members of the orchestra that have bias against them and aren't comfortable with a colleague of color. And I think that I just would not have imagined that this would have been, that feelings like this would have been as rampant in the, this profession. And it, it just even more underscores the fact that we need to, we need to be actively aware that this is going on and intentional about our efforts to try to correct this. And of course, in the millennial generation, my generation and the iGen, uh, Nathan and Rachel's generation, we are by and large more open and accepting. And so getting, as we alluded to earlier, getting more of our generation involved in the profession and involved not only at the professional level, but in, in the audience as well, and just making the whole thing once there's a herd mentality that those kind of feelings, sentiments are not the sentiment of the whole, mm -hmm. then hopefully this, that sentiment will start to dissipate. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Rachel, what about you? Well, I, I, I think that a lot of it, I think, I think what surprised me too, okay. Eric's conversation when he was like, I had this conversation at a panel in 1987. And then I had it again about 10 years later. And here we are again. And I don't, I wasn't actually necessarily surprised by that. I, I was appalled by that. Um, and it made me realize that we, as a culture go through like bursts of excitement about change and we go through like a tidal wave of like every thing needs to change and we need to do all this and we get really excited and then like two years in once it gets hard and it's difficult work people just give up and so i think i i, I think i knew this but maybe as surprising is that this is this is a, this is lifetime of work this is this is the rest of my career right this is not while I'm here at the Canton Symphony, this is not even, you know, the next 15 years, this is a lifetime of work. Um, and it has to be consistent work. It can't be, it can't come in ebbs and flows. It is like a consistent push that has to happen. Um, and it has to happen despite people uh, having pushback to it because there will always be pushback. And so I think pushing past that and doing it with grace and and recognizing that people have different views but saying that i'm i'm that is your opinion right now but we are pushing past that and we are moving forward and um i think realizing that this is this is the rest of my career i think was a big not not necessarily a surprise because i think i knew that at some level but i think to hear it actually said from eric i think was a eye-opener for me right and so i i just wanted to go off that question do you feel like this was one of those defining moments of your life that has is causing a fundamental shift in in what you think and how you react to things? Oh, I I yeah, I think so for sure. I think I've I'm now I'm looking at my career in a very different light now. Um I think I um I don't think I will look at the way I do work ever the same. 
Um, and I don't think I'll look at the way I, I, I just go about life ever the same. And I think it's become more important than ever for me to talk about these issues wherever I go and to um, get rid of the stigma, get rid of the taboo on having difficult conversations because these conversations, they were difficult in, in, in the sense of it, they were challenging and they were, and it was, you know, it was high level stuff, but it wasn't difficult as in like everyone wants to have, like these people want to have these conversations. It's not difficult to have these conversations. So I need to make sure that in every asset of in every part of my life I'm 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 having these conversations and doing that and that you know includes my career and my personal life and all of that. What about you Matthew? And I was going to say from my perspective, you know, I, I it during this time I I've realized especially as a conductor from the programming aspect. I I've just realized this uh, there will be for the rest of my life on almost every, if not every concert, I'm going to make an effort to have a woman or a person of color. I mean, it, it is, if we stop, then we're back to square one. We're back to 1987, as, as Eric said. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, a year ago, I never would have imagined that I would be in that position, in that place with my thoughts about going forward for the, however long I may be a conductor mm -hmm. and it's it's a it's a fundamental shift for me for sure but it's one I'm excited about I mean I, I'm I using the time during the pandemic to discover so much new repertoire has been exciting mm -hmm. it has been nothing short of exciting and has given me even more motivation and and desire to get back to the podium and actually start performing this music. And, you know, I, I do hope we, we had several people said, you know, at, at the end of the day, yes, we're part of minority communities, but we just want to be seen as equals in the profession. Right. Destiny yeah. is non-binary, but they don't study only non-binary music. Right they study music. They just want to be seen as a musicologist. Right. Kelly Corcoran doesn't want to be seen as a female conductor. She wants to be seen as a conductor. Right. And the, until we get, uh, my hope is that we will reach a point where we don't have to have those conversations. Until we do, it's important mm -hmm. that we keep taking our actionable steps. If as, as long as we need an apprenticeship program to get musicians of color on stage at orchestras will have it. Mm -hmm. And I truly just was not thinking about any of this stuff a year ago. And I'm so, I, I, I feel honored that I was in a position to have these conversations, to put myself in a position where I'm now able to, I'm in a mindset of making deliberate, actionable change for the profession. Yeah, that's, that's really great. So Nathan, you know, this whole podcast was born out of you coming to me and saying, we need to do something. And you and I having a conversation about, you know, making sure it was intentional and meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and then it kind of exploded into what it is now today. So do you feel that 
you got some of the answers that or showcased some of the things that you wanted to be highlighted when you first came to me? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I mean, the reason why I thought it would be best to do a podcast is because you literally just have a conversation. It's a conversation that everybody can listen to and learn from. And I was a lot like Matthew and Rachel, where I didn't really see a disconnect uh, in the orchestral or classical music community until I started paying attention. And having those conversations with these people, I think, is so important, especially since anybody who is listening right now probably wouldn't have heard it otherwise. Mm -hmm. And especially since those people who are listening are probably avid fans of classical music, um, take a look on stage next time you're at a concert. Take a look at who's on staff at the organizations that you're looking for. I mean, just looking at ourselves, like there's clearly a disconnect with the, just the difference in populations. Like 16% of Stark County is not white. 10% uh, of Summit County is not white. And if you look at our stage, 99% of the people are white. If you look at our staff, all of the people are white. Yeah. So it's just, and that's not purposeful. It's just the way it is. It's not like we had, it's not like we did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think moving forward, this podcast really gave us a lot of insight into how we can not be that way. Right. And I think that what will result from it is a, a much better, much more entrenched, a much, an organization that's much more entrenched in the community, that's much more reflective of the community. And I think it's starting. I, I really do. And I'm really excited to see what will happen in the next even year or so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're looking at hiring a new development director. We're looking at a whole new season next year. So we'll We'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Yeah, for sure. And we're already, of course, uh, next season has not been announced, so I won't spoil <laughs> any, I won't give any <laughs> details, but I will say that we have already begun planning a season where every Masterworks concert has a piece by either a woman or a composer of color. We are hopeful to have a summer series at the Jackson uh, New Jackson Amphitheater, and we're going to be performing more diverse programs even starting this summer. Mm -hmm. So we are beginning here at the orchestra to to take action on what we've learned here in the podcast already and we're excited to do so. Right. Yeah, and that, you know, that kind of goes to a, another question, you know, that we we are an all white staff and we currently have an all white board um and you know, I can speak a little bit to how we're going to be looking at that going forward. And I know that, you know, our board chair and our person in charge of bringing in new board members is excited about what we have, what, hearing these conversations as well, and has really set out to make a concerted effort to bring more people of color um, and diversity to the board. Um, we already are pretty evenly half and half with women and men um, as you know on our staff as well as on the board. So that part I'm not as concerned about, but I do think that we need to be looking at definitely ethnicities and color um, as far as how we can better represent where we live and where we are where we play. So right. um, so there was some resistance to this podcast when it was first announced. Um, you know, we've, we had some comments 
sent to us both um, prior to the beginning of it even hitting hitting the airwaves um, and then a few surrounding some of the more um, heavy topics. Um, and I wanted to give Nathan the opportunity to share a few of those just and and how you know it made us feel to as being champions of this and you know how how we responded and and how we can look at that going forward so sure. what do you yeah I'm, not, yeah I'm not gonna read them like word for word or anything because i don't want to make anybody upset but just to go over some common themes i guess of what people are upset about i think is important because i mm -hmm. think if there are people out there who truly do feel this way just to kind of gain some perspective from our end on why we are doing this, why we think it's important and how we think we can make change. Right. So a big point that was brought up from a couple people was that we are dissing the actual heritage of classical music, which did start in Western Europe and so forth, and has mostly been contributed to by white people throughout, throughout since its conception. And a few people thought that by doing this podcast, by talking about how we can include more people of color, was attacking that and disrespecting that and not being true to what classical music, quote unquote, is. And I would just like to say that, um, yes, while it may have originated in Western Europe, it certainly didn't end there. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, and I think most people feel this way, music is meant to be contributed to and listened to and shared by all. And I mean, that's the whole point of music, something somebody makes something so you can listen to it. And making people aware of the fact that yes, there are composers of color. Yes, there are composers from the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, there are female composers. I mean, that shouldn't be news to anybody. Right. And I think especially in the modern age, when we have so many, so many opportunities to listen to it and find it from all over the world and perform it on our stage. And I just don't think that people who have that perspective of thinking we're attacking classical music realize that. And I think that's why this podcast is so important and why in the future we need to be super intentional about our programming and everything that we do, because it's just not true. We need to be more reflective of what is out there, especially in the modern classical music pace, uh, space. Like, of course, there are a few composers from like the 1800s, 1700s, but they're few and far between. Um, but as the art grew and expanded across the world, I mean, you have Indian classical music, you have Chinese classical music. I mean, you, it's all over the world, right. the art form is. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, I think we just need to more, be, more, be more representative I can't talk, be more representative of that and also communicate to our patrons that this music is good. This music can make you feel those special feelings that, you know, the music you know and love does that's traditionally in the classical music canon. Yeah. So we're not attacking the original canon. We are hoping to expand it and moving forward in the future. I just hope that people realize that rather than thinking we're attacking classical music. So the, the thing we should keep in mind with those who are skeptical about the podcast is that we may have a different view on things than them, but they are still part of our community. They are patrons of the orchestra and we want them to still be part of the community. We, we, we don't want either the podcast or 
any actionable steps that we may take to turn them away. And I think that having conversations and engaging them, and in the very least, to, to I'll quote, I'll paraphrase Julian Maddox here, to at least get them to a point where they are not against <laughs> the changes that we are trying to make, even if they don't wholeheartedly support them, at least engage them, have the conversations and get them in the very least to the point that they are not against us because they are still important parts of our community and we want them to remain such. I agree. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that, you know, and that's why when we're programming future seasons, it's not like we're never going to play Brahms and Beethoven and Mozart and all of everybody's favorites. On the contrary, we are still going to be playing those and mixing in newer uh, composers that maybe people aren't aware of that, you know, that they have never heard of. And this is a part of an education for not only for our audience, but for our musicians mm -hmm. and for our staff, you know, to get, get that opportunity to hear different pieces of music that, or perform different pieces of music that maybe they wouldn't otherwise. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So just to continue with uh, a little bit more backlash that we received, um, there's another point I want to make about we are really not doing this to try and follow a trend or fad or or to even be political. Right. Like, right. We are doing this because we need to do something. I mean, if you look at our stage, if you look at our history as an organization, and if you look at our staff, I mean, there's clearly a disconnect. Right. And just by what's going on in the world today, I, I don't think it's a political issue at all. I think it's a human issue that needs to be addressed. I mean, if we're not serving uh, sectors of our population well, we need to do that because right. as a nonprofit community organization, our purpose is to serve the community. And we haven't been doing that. Mm -hmm. But I think after this podcast, after really taking a reflective look at our, at our uh, operations, I think we can do that now. I think we're in a good position to move forward in a much more positive way. And for anybody that does view what we are doing as a fad or a trend, or if we're being too political, I encourage you to just listen to the podcast. I mean, we're not trying to change anybody's mind here. We're just trying to inform you mm -hmm. of all that is out there and all that is there to be listened to. Right. So I, I really hope that's not how we are being perceived uh, in the future. Right. And Nathan, to your point about that there is a disconnect, that we are the ones that have to figure it out. You know, one of the guests time and time again, indirectly often impressed upon me that it's the current gatekeepers that are the ones who are in the best position to enact change. Marie Helene said that there were men who mentored her, who that in a time when only men were in that position, men chose to believe in her, to nurture her career, at the, in spite of or maybe because of the fact that she was a woman. Joanne Folletta, no woman had ever been a music director of a major orchestra, and the gatekeepers, the men who were in the positions to make decisions, allowed her to study conducting at Manus, allowed, 
hired her to be a music director. We, the gatekeepers, we are the ones who are have the power to make the decisions and to enact the change at our organizations. So it's up to us to do it. Right. And one thing I think, um, I mean, looking at our first season, I th we do a really good job about talking about uh, gender issues and gender inequality in the world. Um, and all of our guests have a connection to the Canton Symphony. And I think because of that, if we actually look at our first season, it's it, there's only two people of color um, on this season. Uh, and I think it's a really great first season. We talk a lot about really, we talk a lot about these issues and a lot of our white guests, Kelly Corcoran does a great job of advocating for people of color. Um, everyone talked about it, but even when we chose to choose people who were connected to the Canton Symphony in some way, it, like even our connections, not just people like directly involved, it was difficult, you know, it was difficult it to find reflected people the current it, demographic of the organization. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And and Eric, um, probably it was, I mean, it was so great to talk to Eric because Eric just looked at us. He's like, just change it, just change it. Just make the change happen and hire people of color. Just do it. Like, and it was, it, it was really good to have that conversation with him. And he was, um, it was really eye opening. And so I'm really, you know, very excited for looking at season two, where it's going to be, you know, all people of color and being able to hear those voices a lot more strongly. Because even looking at season one, we were like doing this change and people were resistant to it. And it, it wasn't even that diverse when it came to race, which I thought was, um, I mean, it's very indicative of where our organization is at. And then, you know, we're looking to change that in season two. Um, so I, I thought that was, Nathan, you're talking about these backlashes that people had. And they have any, like, at the time that, you know, it's like, they had it, they were having these backlashes when they hadn't even heard Julian or Eric's episodes, right? <laughs> what I liked, though, that happened was that this started as, you know, a reaction on our part to the Black Lives Matter movement, but it has now morphed into something so much bigger and with so much more potential for impact. Right. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that's important. Right. Um, and that kind of segues into the next thing that I want to ask you guys was, you know, where, what do you want to see come out of future seasons of the podcast? You know, as we're looking forward and planning season two and season three, you know, where do you, where do you want to go from there? I, I think a big thing for a big, a project that I'm kind of undertaking, which is connected to the podcast. It's kind of podcast adjacent is creating, um, a colloquium of young people to take what is talked about in the podcast and turn that into actionable change, um, to have, uh, you know, college age students who are interested in the career and in going to the, into music, listen to these podcast episodes, talk with and engage with these guests, and then create actionable change and actually implement it here at the symphony. So when I'm looking at future seasons, I, I'm excited to learn more about, um, oh, I mean, we've mentioned, you know, Indian classical music, which I know nothing about, um, and learn more about different types of classical music that exist. I'm, 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 I'm hopefully excited to start interviewing guests that are going to then show up on our stage, right? I'm I'm in, I'm excited to interview musicians of color who then will be in our orchestra, or um, you know, uh, composers who then we play in our season. And 
I'm really excited to see the podcast turn into the reality of what our symphony is, as opposed to a theoretical of what could happen. I'm excited for when the podcast and what's happening at the orchestra look the same. You know what I mean? That they, they start to mirror each other and, and, and go together really well. Beautifully put, Rachel. Absolutely <laughs> beautifully put. So uh, we, we've alluded to a little bit, our second season is going to be entirely people of color, many musicians, but some non-musicians. Right. And I would love to pursue in future seasons some of the community engagement right. aspects that we've been talking about. If we could even get a community leader from the black community here in Canton who will have on the air the type of conversation that we're looking to have so that we can sort of maybe be a model for how to have this type of conversation for all orchestras who are looking to do a similar thing to what we are doing. Mm -hmm. So really taking, taking this to the community, to this community, and talking to people in the community. I, I look forward to doing that in future seasons. Yeah, I would agree with you that, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that this will not only help us be a better orchestra and a better organization, but to be better serving for our community. And I also hope that we will provide some, some lessons and guidance to other orchestras across the country who want to be able to do the same thing. Um, this has been a topic at um, conferences for years now about how do we engage our community better and you know maybe this is it maybe we are you know just barely scraping off the surface of it but that's my hope anyway yeah. um so let's kind of round this round this out here and finish up our conversation today um so you know, we talked to guests over this first season about gender equality and sexuality and gender identity and racial inequity and uh, the future of classical music. And one question you guys asked every time was, how do we orchestrate change? And everyone had a different answer. Mm -hmm. So how would you answer that question? Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, I really like that question and that's why I ask it. <laughs> but it's such a hard question to answer. Um, I, I think this maybe is um, a little, I don't know. I think the way to orchestrate change is to, is to, is to listen more and to actually, is to do things like what we're doing on this podcast. I mean, I, I have found more value to myself as a professional in this career by by listening during like during this podcast of listening and getting energized and excited about what I do for work and how I can affect change in my community and at the orchestra I am at because I'm hearing people's experiences and and listening to them talk about what they want to see happen so for someone who's on the administrative side um 
orchestrating change for me looks like actually listening to what they have to say, turning what they want into actual programs and then implementing the programs. So the more I listen, the more ideas I will get. And the more I listen, the better ideas I will have for how to create funding, how to create community, how to do all these things so that we can be producers of more than just a podcast. We can, you know, produce more content, more programming, have better connections with our community. Um, so to, to, yeah, to me, to the way we orchestrate change is to continue. And when I say continue doing things like this podcast, it's, it's continuing things to the end, not just like listening, having the conversation. They're like, great. That was awesome. Thank you for having that conversation, but listening and then taking that all the way to as far as it can go, which means actually turning it into ideas and, and doing that for the rest of our lives, which is, you know, long-term thinking down the road. But I, I think that's the reality of the situation that we're in. For me, it's focus on what we can do right here, right now. There, I alluded earlier, there's a lot of things, there are a lot of issues that we can't fix, that we ourselves can't fix. But find, find out through the conversations that we're having here on the podcast, through the conversations we are looking forward to have in, to, looking forward to having in the community, find out through those conversations, what we can do, what, what is in our power to do, and then go out and do it. And if that's programming a more diverse set of pieces, if that's finding ways to get more diverse people, a, a, a more diverse orchestra on stage, anything that we do, if we have the power to do it, and if it is in the interest of serving these communities, then we should do it while also trying to the best of our abilities to bring everyone, our entire Canton Symphony community along with us, even those who are resistant to it. Very well said. Nathan, what are, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, it's just kind of a continuation of what Matthew said. There are a lot of things we can't do, but there are a lot that we can do. And what we can do is change our programming. We can be very intentional about who we hire. And I think as an organization moving forward, I think we need to be a better partner with a lot more uh, institutions, mm -hmm. individuals in our community that do have that voice and right. could establish trust within the community. Like mm -hmm. there's so many things we could do. We could, uh, you know, we can advertise, we can have them advertise in our program. We can partner with certain concerts. We can do specific events. Um, we're, we do a few of those things, but I think there are a lot more opportunities out there that need to be explored. And I think, especially as we start looking at coming back to the office in the fall, potentially, that that's really what we're, when we're going to have to start thinking about that. And we should start thinking about that um, so that we can have a plan and start just being a better partner and being a better organization um, and ultimately be a better orchestra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, being a better partner is huge, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've, I answered this question early on in the season and actually I was recorded first. So this was before any of the conversations have had. Um, but I think I'm really excited about just the little bit that we've already begun to do. And, you know, we just have be 
you know, really have just begun having these conversations. Yeah. And I'm excited that there are members of the board who are, are energized by these and want to make change there. And I'm excited that, you know, the, the programming is going to include more diverse offerings. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that and optimistic that our audience will come along with us. Yeah. I think, you know, when it all comes down to it, we are all humans and we all, you know, want to be kind to one another. Um, and so hopefully our audience will be able to come along on this ride with us, which I think is going to be pretty fun. And honestly, with, with the music that we are looking at, you know, people are going to, this coming season, people are going to pay to hear Beethoven and then be thankful that they heard William Grant still. And eventually, it may take a decade or so, people are going to start being just as excited at, at hearing William Grant still as they are to hear Beethoven. And I really believe that there's this entire cache of repertoire that we just have not explored to its full potential and our audiences are going to be blown away by it. I really believe in it and I can't wait for us to share it with everybody. Well, uh, Michelle and Nathan, thank you for joining us for this wrap-up episode. And and thank thank you, big shout out right now to Nathan for all, you never see him, but he's always like right there. <laughs> Um, where if, if you're, if you're watching, I'm pointing, if you're listening, I'm pointing, um, at recording and making sure that all of this can happen tech wise. So thank big, thank you to Nathan. And thank you to Michelle for, um, being willing to look at our organization and say, yeah, things aren't good enough. We need to change. And for being supportive of this endeavor and for, uh, you know, uh, supporting the staff and in, in, in this project. So, um, I'm very excited for season two and, I hope everyone listening is as well. Absolutely. And thank you to my wonderful co-host, Rachel. Hi. It's been a pleasure to be, be behind the mic with you this season. And, and you. Thank you. And we are so excited for our second season, which will begin airing over the summer. So until then, hang in there. And we're looking forward to seeing you again, both on the air as well as in person once we are able to resume live concerts. Support for the Canton Symphony Orchestra comes from 91.3 FM WAPS, The Summit. The Summit is far more than just a radio station. It is listener-supported, mission-driven, and community-focused public radio with bandwidth centered around the Akron, Canton, Youngstown, and Western Pennsylvania regions. The Summit is the soundtrack of your city. Consider The Summit your platform for specially curated, locally focused music, outreach, and awareness. Visit us at thesummit.fm or download the mobile app to discover our unique community service music channel. Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould, and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams. Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.